In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. We find ourselves just, just a few days away from the beginning of Holy Week, that holiest week of the year, that is a culmination of this effort of ours during these blessed days of Lent of seeking conversion. We have been watching Jesus week after week, not not simply watching, but observing very intently because we want to learn from him. And today on this fifth Sunday of Lent, we watch in amazement as the Lord gives us a masterful lesson in what mercy looks like. At first glance, we could be a, a bit surprised at the gospel passage that the church has offered us. But we'll see in a minute why it is perfect for us. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such people. So what do you say? We go with our imagination to this scene and we can see with our mind's eye the frame of mind of these men who were so pitiless. They were so lacking in basic pity. And at the same time, they were daring Jesus to try to escape from their trap. The scene might bring back to mind those days, your studies of Greek mythology, of the Furies. You might recall that the Furies are those deities of jealous rage and vengeful destruction. The Furies would swoop down on a given situation filled with rage. Well, that's what's happening in this scene. So we imagine these men wagging their fingers, pointing to this this person. In the meantime, Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. One of these days when we get to heaven, we can say to Jesus, can we take a quick look at what you wrote? I've been wondering that all my life. But when they continued asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Let the one among you who is is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Our first thought might be to, to just think, well, this scene is so distant, so far away in time and in place. You know, I don't know what to do with it. But then if we take a second look, we come to see our own tendency our tendency to swoop down and pass a judgment all day long without even realizing it. You could say that we have a tendency to 
make micro-judgments. One of Satan's main goals and main tricks is to divide and conquer. If the devil can find a way to inject division, he wins. He tries to inject division wherever you have more than one person gathered. It could be a division in a family, division in an enterprise, even division in an entire society. And it does not take many ingredients. All he, all he needs to stir up a lack of unity is a pinch of resentment, a teaspoonful of not listening, a sprinkling of jealousy, not to mention his latest trick, the so-called identity politics. That's all it takes to pit one person against another. And that ruins everything. Someone recently wrote about a new phenomenon that has been made possible by the social media that has been termed internet outrage mobs. It just takes someone a moment of, of thoughtlessness to post something that if it offends people within minutes, they will, the, the, the gang, the, the mob, will swoop down on that person and the furies will ruin that person's life. That's why this term is so apt, internet outrage mobs. And this observer goes on to say, we have become a culture without forgiveness. Repentance is simply not possible in our outrage culture. Now, it is possible that each of us has has at least read about, if not witnessed, the identity politics. It's very clever on the devil's part. To divide society according to categories. Categories of race, of religion, of country of origin. Whenever and wherever this vision is present, will people then end up categorizing and then judging the validity of an argument, not on logic, but on the identity of the person making that argument. And that can lead people to say, well, since you belong to such and such a subgroup of humanity, by definition, you have nothing to say, so we're not going to listen to you. And so the results, especially on university campuses, no communication, just a lot of insults, a lot of shouting contests, a lot of speakers being disinvited from campuses. But we see all of that negativity whirling, whirling around us. And then we are drawn back irresistibly to this image of Jesus bending over, writing in the, in the ground, in the dirt with his finger. What a contrast. And this is where we find the clue, the path to escape this whirlpool of negativity. And that is mercy. Mercy is God's gift to us as his children. God's mercy is what we live by. You might know that the, in the old days, centuries ago, it was thought that we are surrounded by invisible ether. 
But now we, we know what we're surrounded by is God's mercy. We are immersed in a sea of mercy. Those of you who have discovered this wonderful app called I Pray With The Gospel, perhaps you noticed this very charming anecdote about Mother Angelica. One day, Mother Angelica was walking by the sea when a wave crashed at her feet. A small drop of seawater fell on her hand, and she returned it to the sea. You have to admit this is a very charming image. Mother Angelica just taking a little drop of seawater and returning it, return to the sender. Well, then she heard Jesus' voice say, Angelica, did you see that drop of water? Yes, Lord. Those drops are like your sins, your weaknesses, your feebleness, and your imperfections. And the ocean is like my mercy. If you look for that drop, will you be able to find it? She said, no, Lord. If you looked and looked, could you find that drop? No. So Jesus concluded, why do you keep looking? The ocean is like the Lord's mercy. We are surrounded, immersed, engulfed in this ocean of mercy. What a wonderful way to live. What a wonderful attitude of Jesus to aspire to. There is a scene in the gospel that can help us to go even farther in this this conversation we're having with Jesus here in the tabernacle. You recall that moment when a lawyer, a doctor of the law, came to Jesus and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then the lawyer wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Well, thank goodness the lawyer asked that question because it led to Jesus telling us the parable of the Good Samaritan, which each one of us knows by heart. It begins simply, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. Notice that Jesus does not say anything about the identity of this man. He just says a man, a human being. At the end of the parable, the Lord says, which of these three, those three who stopped, well, only one, the good Samaritan stopped actually and took care of this person. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Well, it's a powerful question that flies in the face of identity politics. Flies in the face of what the devil is trying to do in society. St. John Paul II, referring to the Good Samaritan, said, for the Christian, every human being is a neighbor 
to be loved. If you ask the question, but wait a minute, who is my neighbor? You're asking the wrong question because that is already setting limits and conditions. The right question is, to whom should I become a neighbor? And the answer is, anyone in need, even if a stranger to me becomes a neighbor, I must help. What that means for us is, whenever we step outside, we don't even have to go outside, every single person around us, everyone we see, is by definition a sister of ours, a brother of ours, our neighbor. Right now we can reaffirm our determination to live according to that vision that Jesus has taught us. I don't see any other, any other modifier, any other thing that would separate me from anybody. A very powerful image from Pope Francis can help us, where he says, if we remove our sandals before the sacred ground of the other, if we let ourselves be surprised by others, then we can truly help them. What that means is seeing in every single person around us that they are standing on sacred ground because they are children of God. I mean, if we wanted to get graphic, we could be removing our sandals all day long, which would get in the way of our work, but that's beside the point. But if we let ourselves be surprised by others, if we respect them tremendously, then we can truly help them. The Pope went on to talk about the fact that we are called to be islands of mercy in the midst of a sea of indifference. Well, that's a powerful image. For example, we walk into a classroom, go downtown, go walk into a grocery store, we go anywhere. Our default setting might be to enter into the old habit of, of these micro-judgments without even knowing anything about the people we see. But if we turn things around and see ourselves as islands of mercy in the midst of a sea of indifference, well then, even if everyone else doesn't, is totally indifferent to the presence of any individual, we look at these people everyone around us, and we very consciously wish them well. What a great way to go about life. There is a powerful article, a recent article, on the website of Opus Dei, precisely about mercy. There are several sentences that we can quote from this article. People can appear very different to us depending on whether we look at them with or without affection. Mercy is not just a praiseworthy attitude of our hearts. St. Josemaria shows us that it is a necessary condition if we, are get, if we are to get to know others without the distortions introduced by our self-love. Looking at people mercifully means seeing them as God sees them, and then we see them as they really are men and women with virtues that we admire, but also with defects that probably make them suffer, even if they don't show it. And that calls for our understanding and help. Without mercy, the article goes on, 
Without mercy, our view is deprived of breadth and depth, and we diminish others. Looking at them affectionately with love enables us to know them better and so also to love them better. It might be a while since you last read War and Peace by Tolstoy. Well, there's a very interesting comment by Tolstoy regarding Pierre, one of the central figures, following his conversion. If you want to look it up, it's on page 1050 in part 15, the end of chapter 19, if, you're, if you've ever gotten that far. But he says very simply regarding Pierre, as love was brimming over in his heart, he loved others without cause and so never failed to discover incontestable reasons that made them worth loving. What a difference mercy and affection make. Right now we can assure the Lord that we are determined on a daily basis to make a conscious decision to be on the side of those around us, to wish them well, to really be rooting for them, as opposed to making these little judgments that we're not even aware of. We have to show people respect. It's part of mercy. Going back to this article on the website of Opus Dei, the word respect comes from the Latin respectus, meaning an attentive look, consideration. Real respect means being approachable, understanding, magnanimous, able to look people in the eye. It is this attitude that the Pope refers to when he talks about tenderness, which is respectful, delicate charity. As he said at one point, always try to have eyes that welcome, a helping, accompanying hand, consoling words, a tender embrace. Very interesting aspect of mercy is that it requires humility. Mercy is compatible with weakness. In fact, our very weakness enables us to grow in mercy because it makes us more humble. It helps us to understand that the people around us also have defects. It helps us a lot to recognize our defects. There is a residence in the Midwest of the United States, a student residence, where there, is a, there was a wonderful person. She made the best fried chicken in the United, entire United States. She was a Baptist preacher from Birmingham, Alabama. She took care of all the residents, every aspect, including their formation. Well, in that residence, there was a young man who was very full of himself. You could say he was on his high horse. He was very proud. Well, one day, Sadie, the star of this, this anecdote, had a little talk with him. Now, there is no way to imitate a Baptist preacher from Birmingham, Alabama, unless you're from that city. So I won't even try. But what Sadie said to him was, son, if you want to rise up, you got to come on down. You got to get down. If you want to go up in the world, you got to come on down. 
Join us down here on this earth. Now you can imagine how dramatic it was, just fill in the blanks, but he certainly got the message. But we have to do that in order to be, to be merciful. We have, to, we have to get on down, to this, as they say. There's a wonderful point in a, one of the novenas to St. Josemaria that says, I realize that if I were sincere, beneath all that hardness, I would see my own pride. I recognize that, that I am touchy. I am easily offended. I take the things people say or do the wrong way. And the slightest insinuation upsets me. And you, Jesus, how did you behave when people treated you badly? What do you do to me when I mistreat you with my sins? I know perfectly well that every time I go and confess my sins, you say to me, I absolve you. Lord, I do not want to be a hypocrite. Well, this introduces us to the final point of this meditation, a very powerful one. You might be thinking, what happened, going back to the scene with which we began this meditation, what happened to the end, at the very end? And all those men dropped the stones they were going to use and walked away. At the end, forgiveness. He was left alone with a woman before him. Then Jesus stood up and said to her, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replied, No one, sir. Then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Well, this is a divine lesson for us. Nothing makes us more like God than always knowing how to forgive. If there's any, if just one thing we should ask the Lord to help us take away from this time of prayer together, this is it. Nothing makes us more like God than always knowing how to forgive. A great way for us to finish this time of prayer would be to take a look at one consideration in the Novena to St. Josemaria for forgiveness. This consideration says, my God, I know that resentment is a wound that self-love and pride keep open and stir up in my heart. It is gangrene, carefully cultivated in the soul by hatred. It scares me, my God, because I have discovered that resentment inside myself, rooted there like a cancer. He's using very graphic language here certainly grabs our attention. Well, this writer goes on to say, someone once said that resentment is the devil's oven. They were right. I too feel that it is a cursed fire that incinerates the love, understanding, and peace that should always mark the relationships of God's children. Free me from it, Jesus. Help me to get rid of this disease through frequent confession. Grant me through St. Josemaria's intercession, the strength from heaven to forgive and forget. May I never harbor resentment. Instead, may I leave my bitterness within your heart and learn there how to say, Father, forgive them. Well, we finish, as we always do, by turning to Our Lady and asking her for a heart of mercy. We ask Mary 
that during these final days of Lent, this final build-up to Holy Week, that she continue working to purify our heart and to lead that heart of ours to the most sacred and merciful heart of Jesus. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.